Welcome everybody. Uh, today we're going to be exploring one of my absolute favorite topics, and I mean that with all honesty because I think it's it's super interesting. Um, which is how we've organized around value uh, in the meet, in like the concept of DevSecOps and being cross-functional. Um, as you scale an organization, which we'll be touching on too, how do you keep that alignment towards value delivery in mind? And so organizing around value becomes a huge deal. And so uh, I found that exceptionally tough and, and platform one, it kind of is against some of our, what I believe to be some of our cultural norms when I joined this team. Um, and so I would say there was a healthy level of tension all over the place as we kind of iterated through our organizational structure and worked on scaling. Um, so today I have two guests with me, um, Erica Westendorf and Drew Belk, who I'll let you all, they'll introduce themselves, although you guys should already know Drew. He has moved from facilitator on this episode to guest because he helped, uh, along with Erica and others, kind of lead some of this change internal to P1. Um, so Erica, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Yes. Hi, I'm Erica Westendorf. I'm a contractor at Platform One and have been around um, this group of fine folks for uh, nearly three years. Um, so there's there's a lot of stories in behind <laughs> behind that. I'm currently I, I've bounced around a little bit. Um, first, kind of building started out building a data platform, um, and then moved to some application development, some framework development. Uh, always in a in a PM, a product manager type of role, and now um, not a product manager, but the party bus driver, which is super fun. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've hit on early in episodes that uh, everybody chooses their own titles at Platform One for the most part. So you, Party Bus Driver has always been one of my favorites uh, at Platform One. And I lied, Drew doesn't get to introduce himself because you've heard from him all season and you're going to hear from him more. Uh, but I'm going to start with a question about value, right? So if we're talking about organizing around value, um, we are obviously a DevSecOps organization. We've tried to help transform the DOD to be DevSecOps, uh, use DevSecOps, leverage it, be more like it. Uh, but I want to know, because that is maybe one of the most overloaded terms like culture is in our ecosystem. Uh, so I want each of you to define for me, and we'll start with Drew. Um, what, what is DevSecOps? Yeah, like you said, a very loaded question, right? Like there are multiple aspects that play into this. It's the philosophy behind it. There's a mindset that's tied to it. There are tools and things that help you implement it as well. But like, to me, the most important factor is is more or less organizing your teams in a way that all of the, the functional areas, if you will, get a seat at the table. So think through your waterfall process, right? Requirements, design, development, test, security, deploy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all of those are different functional areas. They all require different skills. And what we do in DevSecOps and in Agile environments is say, cool, instead of you guys being in your little functional silos, throwing things over a wall to each other, you're all going to sit at the same table. You're all on the same team. And it is your job to deliver a product, everything that means, right? That includes the documentation for the product, the security for the product. It is what end value uh, do users get from this piece, whether it's a website, uh, a set of APIs, doesn't, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you are delivering that value and everybody has a seat at the table. So I can't say, oh, well, that's security's problem or, oh, well, that's design's problem. Like, nope, you own it. It is all of you. You share each other's problems because at the end of the day the best way to make your problems uh solved is to make them my problems so that we are solving them together yeah i love the i love the concept of extreme ownership there you teased a little bit so so erica you tell me tell me what is devsecops yeah um i i love i really like what drew said <laughs> i think i think that was really fantastic um <laughs> 
but um, not, no, not a but. In addition to that, uh, uh, even um, kind of like focusing and narrowing it down for, you know, some of the work that we do um, that we've been pushing forward for platform one is, you know, all that stuff working together, extreme ownership, getting it all put together, but in the mindset of delivering quality software in a continuous, like continuous, like continuous delivery of that, not putting up these roadblocks, like you said, not shipping a problem off to cyber or, or whatever that might be. It's like knocking down those artificial or in the DOD, these roadblocks that we've set up because we've done on, always done it this way. We've, um, you know, policy, like really cutting and breaking through all of that, um, not just at a technical level, obviously, but from a way we communicate, a way we work together and uh, a way that we um, accept risk and responsibility. So I like that because you guys both kind of defined uh, the requirements to deliver in a DevSecOps fashion, right? And I, I think one of the things that drives me crazy sometimes as people do panels and you know podcasts, even like this, is they talk about things very abstractly, right? Like, oh, you know, ideas, buzzword, 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 and you know, outcomes happen. So I, I want to get a little bit more uh, tactical in the details here. And since you guys are, are both kind of P1 OGs or maybe even predate P1 in a, in a lot of ways, tell me, especially early on at P1, I would argue that we didn't even know what our products really were. We were, you know, we were going to do DevOps platform and I'm using air quotes for the people that can't see me, but we had no idea really, at least I didn't, of what that looked like. So tell me how were the teams organized and maybe what were some of the practices or processes we used like in the beginning when the team was was small? Yeah, I can I can take the first stab at this uh, because I actually joined the Space Camp team, the platform side of the house prior to platform one existing and the whole merger with Level Up we've talked about in other episodes, et cetera. Um, and then at that time, it was 20 total people hanging out in basically a basement uh, because it was being refurbished and all of these things. We all brought our own equipment, et cetera. Um, but we effectively had app teams and a platform team. And that platform team did all of the things platform one does today, uh, but on a much smaller scale, right? We were only supporting three or four apps. Uh, so that made it a little bit easier. So to some extent, I don't even know that we realized it, but we were treating platform as a product and it was its own product team. Uh, as we then continued to scale, uh, which I think we'll talk about as we continue to, to go through here as well, we, we started to realize we naturally went to those functional silos like okay platform is too big now it's more than eight people let's have a cyber team on the platform let's have a deployments team on the platform let's have the devops team on the platform which everybody's familiar with conway's law to some extent right like your communication structure mirrors your organizational structure um, and and we we learned very quickly hey like these functional silos that we've always been used to creates the same functional siloed problems of communication that we've always been used to, there's gotta be a better way. And the business end of that was a thousand miles away yeah. of which we never spoke to, right? A uh, huge problem, obviously, that um, platform one has you know, made strides <laughs> in improving. Um, um, but at the same time, I don't think they ever wanted to be even close, you know, close or understand. Um, what was going on. And so that created a real wall between us. Yeah, Eric, I'm glad you brought that up because a, a lot of times when we talk organizational theory and software product delivery, we talk about, you know, cyber or pipelines, platform application teams, APIs. 
Uh, but I would argue one of the two maybe biggest strategic problems we always had at P1 was our communication with our acquisition team, which is like effectively what the government used to describe their business ops team, right? The people resourcing the team were pretty far abstracted in a lot of ways from what the product teams were trying to deliver. And that has created a lot of problems. <laughs> um, so that's how we started. And that makes sense. So platform one, if I remember right, went from, I don't know, 40-ish people to what seems like 200 people. And it might be that those exact numbers, to be honest, over maybe a three to six month period that happened to align with COVID. Uh, but can you walk me through what that was like? Uh, maybe talk about onboarding, how did the culture spread or not spread, uh, just any things that you saw be successful or unsuccessful or that changed from an organizational theory. And we'll, we'll start with Erica this time. Yeah, that was a wild, that was a wild time. Um, I'm not going to lie. The one thing that, you know, really very much apparent is the people that came, that came to work, the core platform one, you know, building out our core services, Iron Bank, Big Bang, uh, Party Bus, they all really wanted to be here and they were willing to put in the work. Of course, this all happened during like the first, what, three or four months of COVID, um, of, of, of the pandemic. So those of us, we had worked, you know, like in this basement where, you know, bring our own equipment and everything for, for like a year. Right. And we all knew each other. And if we had to solve problems, we'd like throw a Nerf bullet at each other and say, Hey, I need some help here. Right. Or, or actually use the Nerf gun <laughs> in most cases. Right. I need some help here. And, um, you know, so we, obviously we all had to figure out, like, we have to be able to solve problems, get to know each other. Some of those more like soft things like having happy hours. Um, you know, I couldn't just go to the, <laughs> the, uh, the keg of beer that was at Catalyst Campus that was offered to us anymore, but, you know, really kind of forcing ourselves to get on that Zoom call, um, chat about some things that were, that were really struggling with us. Um, you know, the point of having uh, org-wide retros, um, you know, at the beginning, they're, I think they're, they were very well um, participated and, you know, very, very honest at the beginning. And I think that was something that helped us to get to know each other, which in turn helped us to scale and, you know, continue delivering that value. Obviously, you know, all the, the collaboration tools that we offer was, was a key piece, but I think some of the, having some of those really open conversations and being able to uh, be willing to figure out how to trust each other. And we seem to do it really well during uh, not that we don't do it well now, but, you know, that's something that would contributed to helping us to, you know, to grow really quickly, really fastly across, um, you know, the, <laughs> in some cases, well, including Europe, right? Like we had some, some people from Germany that were helping us out, right? <laughs> um, all the, across all these different time zones. And then, but also doing it in a way that was, it was a consortium, right? Like we were all in it together, um, military, contractor, government, FFRDCs in some cases, you know, we were, we were all in it together um, and we all gave it our all. There was a really unique kind of uh, atmosphere that we had built. And I think a lot of it was protected by us OGs. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is how we do things, right? And it was like, bring, bring your best self, right? Uh, you have a skill set. Let's find the right place. Um, we didn't call it the sorting hat where we get people on the right teams at the time. You know, we let the teams decide that we're already established who and what kind of skill set that they needed to add. Um, and then, you know, we advocated for, for those. 
Yeah. And I remember a time where we needed 24 seven support, but we didn't have any contracts. So we found uh, blue suitors. I'll use that term to mean anybody in the government, literally across the globe, I think in Hawaii and Germany, so that their normal duty hours covered (laughs) down on a 24 hour cycle. So that's just, uh, I wanted to throw that one out there because that was one of my favorite grassroots part of P1 is like, we can't do 24 seven support. And our response was, oh yeah, let us, let us see if we can send out an email and find friends who are willing to give us four to six hours a day across the globe. Uh, and it happened and it was like, it was a beautiful thing, right? When you provide value and people care about the mission, they're willing to do whatever it takes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push a little bit more of a curveball on the same question for Drew to answer. Culture was big at Platform One and it was easy to spread culture, I'd argue, when you got to see each other eyeball to eyeball every day or, or have a beer at the end of the day at the keg, like uh, Erica mentioned. How, how did the culture scaling go in a time where there was, there was no more coming into the office together? And, and what, what, what tips, tricks, tools did we try to implement to, to make that happen? Yeah, so I'll add a little bit more context before answering your question. And this kind of plays off of what Erica was getting at too. From a, and we've talked about scaling. So like initially the Space Camp platform team, 8, 12, 15 people. As we then merge with Level Up, we bring in an additional 20 people. At this point, we don't even know what our products are, right? <laughs> like we went from our org chart, uh, and I use air quotes very loosely, intentionally, uh, being on a whiteboard uh, to having to do it in a dry IO like free, like video editing or not video editing, um, like process making documentation kind of tool that we found on the internet uh, because somebody erased our whiteboard and nobody knew what team they were on anymore. Like it was that, it was that ridiculous because we were so focused on your team doesn't matter. Your, your role is really, how do we get value delivered? So that's always been inherent in our culture, which was great. Um, But then we doubled. We brought in the team from San Antonio. And I remember sitting in the Harvey house at Catalyst campus with like 40 people who didn't know each other. Well, 20 people who knew each other, 20 other people who knew each other, like, Hey, you guys are all friends. Now you have the responsibility to deliver value together. And it just being this crazy, uh, good time, let's say. Um, and so we went from that then from those 40 to, Hey, we've got a lot of momentum. We're providing a lot of value. People want what we're offering people start sending us money. We start scaling contracts. So we went from those 40 to 50 people to 220, 230 in the next six months. And oh, by the way, after that gigantic meeting uh, at Catalyst Campus is around the time COVID hit and we started scaling uh, remotely. And so to your your actual question, now that I've added some context and timelines and different things in here, uh, how did we attempt to recreate our culture virtually? I think it first it, it took this like weird things went great at first then things went really south and then we slowly built it back up uh because i think at first everybody was like holy crap now that i'm at home and i don't have somebody standing on my desk to ask me about something i can actually get work done uh so people were really effective at getting work done we made the transition pretty effectively uh to utilizing chat ops in our different channels within our teams very specifically and shortly after that, as we, you know, you kind of burn off the things in your backlog that don't have any dependencies and you need to now figure out how the heck do I talk to this other team? Uh, we, we went into like total chaos. Um, communication was hard. Uh, we didn't really have a way. Only like four people had Zoom accounts that were actually licensed Zoom accounts. So 
trying to schedule a meeting meant you had to find one of the four people who could have more than a 40 minute meeting with more than two people on it types of things. I still um, have free Zoom. I just, I just end after 40 minutes. It's super annoying. And that's, you know, another strategy you can take is if we can't solve this problem in 40 minutes, we can't solve this that's problem. Right. Yeah, I, just, um, I love it. Right. And so we went from this, this water cooler culture, right? Like, hey, let's run into each other in the hallway and let's, let's get to know each other let's hang out after work types of things to trying to do that virtually. Uh, and where we started to build the culture back up was attempting to do things like virtual happy hours, which initially were really highly attended because people were craving human interaction because we went from it being a huge part of our life to, hey, two weeks to flatten the curve, right? But turn into yeah. forever. Uh, and so we did things like that. We also did like virtual happy hours, what we called them or um, training sessions, uh, dev hops, if you will, where somebody from within the organization would just talk about something they knew a lot about that other people were curious or interested in, um, which also had a lot of attendance in the early days. And, and in fact, we ended up rolling that into a, a new ceremony we call our daily, right? Right after our org-wide standup, one of the value streams presents one of the things they have in progress, uh, which is an idea we totally stole from Pixar, um, to foster creativity, to share knowledge across teams. Um, so we, we tried all of these different things. Like I said, we started great, went horribly bad, and are slowly building ourselves back up. But to some extent, you'll never fully recreate the in-the-office feel, uh, which is fine. We just need to adopt and adjust to how do we do that virtually. So I know some teams play like one night a werewolf virtually to do things. Um, on the team I'm on currently, we have a happy hour right after our retro where you're not allowed to talk about work. We just talk about travel or our kids or, or whatever uh, people want to talk about. And that's, that's helped a lot because relationships are important. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's awesome to hear. Uh, I watched it all happen and I was, uh, luckily I wasn't the one dealing with the day-to-day -day execution because I felt bad for you sometimes because uh, I knew it was a hard job and a super important one because people need context uh, when they show up or they don't know how to provide value. And if they don't have to provide value, they want to leave, right? Um, and at the same time, we had a lot of scaling demand. So it was kind of hard to keep up with the scaling demand with the people and you have to keep the people efficient. Um, and that, that brings me to the next question I wanna ask because this is something that I think uh, I struggled with personally at Platform One for a while. Um, you know, in those early days when it was 20 to 40 to 50 people, you know, kind of the way to get stuff done was like what got called drive-bys or like, I like to call them like people got sniped basically like, hey, can you drop everything you're doing and do this one thing for the next 48 hours, right? Um, and that's great, but that makes it really hard to manage dependencies. Like you don't even know when you're wrecking somebody else's backlog for potentially weeks. Um, so there's this issue of dependency management and also um, how you measure value, right? Because one of the struggles I had at Platform One is sometimes like, I knew there was like one or two things that were for sure happening by a small team, but yeah, we had 200 some people probably, you know, on, on keyboard, if you will, or individual contributors. And I was asking myself, well, we should be getting after like 10 or 15 like strategic objectives. And I don't, and I have no idea whether they're actually getting accomplished or not, right? Um, and so that was a challenging question of, you know, how are we managing dependencies so that we know across teams we can, we can get things all the way done. Um, but also how do we know we're making progress towards our, the things that are most important to us? Um, so can you, can you both walk me through like, what had to change from a process perspective from 40 people to 200 people? Yeah, I think, and I kind of touched on this a little bit in the early going. Initially, the way we were organized was very functional, right? 
admittedly, I think it took us six months to even realize what our products were, right? What are people willing to pay us for from a product or service standpoint? Um, and as we kind of figured that out, we were able to, to reorg, uh, which became a trigger word for a lot of people at Platform One, because when you go from eight to 20 to 40 to 80 to 160 to 240, you, you reorg pretty much every time you double in size. Uh, so it happened very rapidly, like six times in four months kind of thing. Um, but we finally got to the point where instead of, hey, we've got a deployments team and that deployments team needs the knowledge of the Iron Bank environment uh, where we host the hardened containers that are intended to be used across the entire DOD to also understanding the party bus environment, to also being able to go into the classified side, uh, to also being able to create dog food clusters for Big Bang to test all of their stuff, like our different product lines. Once we realized like, it's not fair to ask somebody to know all of those things and be able to pivot to any of them in any particular moment. Because, oh, by the way, one of Platform One's tenants is let's avoid vendor lock. So we were using different Kubernetes distros across those different environments uh, intentionally, right? And one of them was even like our own spin of upstream Kubernetes that we uh, delved in for a little while and luckily <laughs> got away from. Um, but like we basically asked a one like a six person team to know all of that and be able to prioritize across all of those. Uh, and what, what we realized was if we identify our products and then the services we provide on those products, which ended up being Iron Bank, Big Bang, Party Bus, and later we brought CNAP into the fold. Um, it's okay for those value streams to be dependent on the other value streams for a product. Like Big Bang takes Iron Bank containers, configures them, Party Bus runs Big Bang in multiple different clusters to provide our basically CATO as a service, right? But it's not okay necessarily for them to rely on them for knowledge completely. Uh, and oh, by the way, the way we built this model is if Party Bus needs a container hardened, the theory theoretically could go do it themselves. Also, they can go configure it and pass that knowledge and expertise upstream. So they're not actually blocked by other teams' priorities unless they want to be, right? So um, we learned a lot from that perspective, uh, but then to get to your actual question, okay, now we've got our products identified. Austin and leadership have 47 priorities that is fair to track across 240 people. How do we communicate that? Uh, you can go read 47 different options for scaling frameworks for Agile. Uh, and in fact, we did as we decided to build our own because we liked some things about all of them and hated some things about all of them as well. Um, I think the, the primary lesson we learned was teams need to understand how to communicate with each other. It doesn't have to be the same. So like the way party bus communicates with iron bank is maybe different than the way they communicate with big bang, but everybody on party bus or enough people on party bus understand that interface, uh, and enough people on big bang and iron bank do as well, uh, to be able to effectively have conversations. And you also need to get to the point where you have a single source of truth for what work needs to be done. Um, the way we solve that at Platform One is to bring epics into a single board or a single pane of glass that we can see across the entire organization. We can tag the different teams with our components to say, hey, I'm dependent on you for this. And we set up some automation even in our chat ops tool to say, hey, whenever party bus gets tagged in this, send me an automated matter most net message. So I now see somebody else thinks they need something from me. If I understand it right off the bat, great, we can start the work. If I don't, let's go utilize those communication channels to figure out what they expect from me. Um, so I think that helped a lot.
Sorry, I've talked a lot, Erica. I'll let you. No, I was. Chime I in. was actually. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> um, you know, from uh, from from what I've seen, you know, we 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 had some uh, uh, growing pains. You know, forming, storming, norming for all all those things. And you know, there was a time where we would make promises that we just couldn't deliver. Right? Like we're like selling things that we just simply didn't have. Um, and I don't really fault anybody for that. It's because those people that were having the conversations probably didn't really even know what we had. Right. And so <laughs> from a, did. from a, you know, like a, uh, if we're talking about having this environment to enable continuous delivery, you gotta be really specific. Like you, 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 you sort of have to draw your line in the sand. You have to sell things that people want, of course, but you have to kind of draw a line in the sand. Um, and one of the things that, you know, has worked really well for us is, you know, having our, our, you know, and this is really weird for me, like being in the DOD for forever and keeping our information secret, but having a public website that has the service catalog, it outlines what it is that you do very clearly. Um, so everybody can see it. Um, you know, and you, we, we can't, you know, it's, you can't help everybody and, and, and that's okay. Um, our thing is we had so many people that wanted to help everybody that had any, any random question, you know, I really need this. And whether it was a good fit or not, um, you know, square peg round hole, <laughs> right? Like, um, what we need to do is kind of get our team gathered around, um, with that focus of what it is that we offer, what it is that we're going to prioritize, um, and, you know, really get everybody rounded up behind that. Um, and that transformation really kind of happened what over the summer and the fall, I think, and I, you know, and we're still dealing with some of those effects that of, you know, what we talked about a year ago, but now I think, um, you know, as we even continue to mature a little bit more, um, I hope that when we, you know, ask the, the, the others that are, you know, doing the day-to-day hands-on keyboard stuff that they have a clear understanding of what our services are, who and what we are, what we stand for, and what it is that we offer. Yeah, I think Kanye said, everything I'm not makes me everything that I am. Um, so not that you should take life advice from Kanye West or DevSecOps advice, maybe, but there's a lot of truth to that statement, to be honest, because like what you were describing, Erica, like we, we wanted to help everybody, right? And at a time, everybody wanted our help. Yeah. Uh, but if you're willing to help everybody, you become nothing at the same time, right? Because you don't, you know, you have to specialize to some degree and know who your yeah. customer segment is and you can't take on everybody. And we, we definitely learned that lesson. I think um, relentlessly saying no to the wrong customers is, is really, really hard to do in reality. Yeah. Um, and, that, and you hit on something else that's going to lead perfectly to my next question, which is these feedback loops between teams become critically important, especially in a remote world, especially as you scale. Um, we had three-ish teams, I would say, that kind of operated outside what I'll call product delivery. Um, one we called customer success, basically the customer-facing intake, right, and customer relationship management. Uh, acquisitions, which is doing our contract funding, program management, resourcing. And a little bit, depending on your definition of the world or the day at Platform One, the cyber team, the people who are responsible for the authorization of our environment. Um, so I want to specifically hit on that because I think that's something that I, I'm not sure anybody's gotten right. And I don't sure, I'm not sure we ever got it right at Platform One, but how do you organize these supporting functions in a DevSecOps organization, right? Because at the end of the day, those organizations exist to support value delivery from a product line or a value stream. 
Um, so where, you know, going back to Conway's law that, you know, Drew brought up earlier, where do you put those teams? Because that's going to drive communication and feedback loops and therefore efficiency in your delivery. Yeah, so I can take the first step. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I think you just have to be conscious of the decisions you're making and how it affects people's behavior, right? So there are trade-offs with every decision in a complex world, which is what we operate in. Um, for example, customer success was one of the teams you brought up. They're basically the front door to platform one. Hey, I, I want to buy a platform one, or somebody told me I have to buy a platform one. How do, how do I do that, right? So they, they're there to say, hey, these are the products and services we offer. Tell us a little bit about your expertise. Tell us where you're at in your DevSecOps journey, and we'll guide you to the right product. In a like true definition of value stream, like that sales function and those people that go out and sell your product are inherently embedded within your value streams. However, comma, the trade-off there would be from a user perspective or potential customer experience perspective, they have to know what they want to buy before they come to you. So instead of us doing that embedded within each value stream, we decided, hey, let's let's make a separate team that spans all value streams to make a better user experience. Uh, and we did a similar thing with our help desk, right? Is at, to some extent, Conway's law is important, but your user experience is also very important. And if I, as a user, need to know exactly which form to submit on a help desk in order to get help for my thing, I'm going to be frustrated for the first however many months, as opposed to if I can just submit something and you guys figure it out on the back end, uh, I will be much happier because I can just go to a simple spot and or provide an email kind of thing, right? Um, for some of them, it's straight up a, a resourcing thing, right? So absolutely, we 100% want that functionality within every value stream like cyber comes to mind for instance and, and we do have a weird kind of mixed model where we embed some cyber folks and also have a cyber team that's separate and handles some of the policy and con ops and um, things like a security classification guide i know they're working on etc uh, in, in my perfect world right they are completely inside the value stream and each value stream owns their own ato right it comes back to that ownership piece but the way we scaled bring us your best engineers. I don't know if it was a contracting thing or whatever, the cybersecurity expertise, we, we ended up with seven or eight of them and we can't spread that across our four things very effectively. So we had to basically share that expertise across teams, which is why they ended up as a separate team as well. And somewhat embedding uh, to, to Austin's point, maybe we didn't get it exactly right, um, but they became kind of a shared um, support model, if you will. And so does the acquisitions team, right? We just don't have enough to do true value stream functionality where every value stream handles their own contracts and their own acquisitions, like their own mini program, if you will. Yeah, I think that's kind of where we're starting to, I think we're kind of, yeah, we're, we're I think that's where we're falling short, right? Um, and it's not necessarily about like responsibility and things like that. It's just that like we've matured to the point where we kind of, now it's, um, not so wild west now it's maturing and continue to grow the capability and improve that customer experience and um that's 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 a way to do it right is to continue to kind of force that but um as um leaders of of this group of you know of 
you know, people that are trying, that are building out all these different services, we have to be cognizant that we're not enforcing an up and over type of um, communication path, right? Yep. And I try to check myself every now and then. I was actually talking to Andrew Green about this yesterday. I was like, I hope I'm not doing this. You know, if you see it, recognize, call me out on it because I want to make sure that our teams are our internal PMs don't feel like they have to come to me for everything. Go solve your own problems. Go outreach. You may not know who that person is. Send me a note, say, who's the right person to talk about this? I want to go solve this thing, right? And, and it's this one, go, go off and do it. And then, you know, let us know how it goes, right? And, you know, if you need roadblocks, we, you know, knock down, let us know. Um, but so we just got to be cognizant as um, platform one continues to grow and there's more like acquisition help and there's more government folks, uh, military folks that are put in the leadership position that we're not having a traditional hierarchical that, that we don't go into that. Um, because I think that will that's going to kill our culture and we don't want that to happen. Yeah. And I think you hit on something super important there, right? Like I think the key thing there is people having the humility to hold each other accountable too, right? Like we, yep. Yep. As we've kind of formalized the structure out of necessity to scale, it would be easy to fall into the trap of kind of what I'll call traditional leadership style where like you make the decisions or you hold a certain level of authority and you haven't decentralized that to the teams to execute. Um, and I was the same way, right? Even as the token government guy uh, for a while, um, I was always worried that like people were defaulting to me for decisions. And I would regularly direct message people and be like, if this is happening, somebody please like literally punch me in the face next time you see me, because it's the last thing in the world I want to have happen. Uh, but when you get busy, right, it just some things you can fall into old habits. And I think um, having the humility and courage, honestly, to hold each other accountable to that standard, I think was really, it is really important at Platform One. Um, okay, we only got one question left. And then my favorite part, which is story time. Uh, so for the sake of time, maybe a, a little bit of a lightning round question, which is, um, and Eric, you mentioned a little bit, but I'll give you a chance to, set, to tell another different one after Drew goes, just give me, uh, the, where, where are we still give me an example or an area that we're still really falling short at that we haven't been successful. That is still a problem area for us. Yeah. I think the, the biggest one is to, to steal a character from the Phoenix project. We have a bunch of friends, right? So like knowledge transfer is an incredibly difficult problem. And thinking of the three ways of DevOps, right? The first one being systems thinking, continuous flow, understanding how your value gets delivered. Our current orientation is a single day, right? So new, new people come in to this gigantic world of not only the DOD for some of them, where it's acronym soup, but also into a very complex technical environment where not only are we utilizing Kubernetes, we're layering on Istio and all of these things that a lot of people just haven't seen. Um, and so we've created brands that understand those organizational interfaces. Hey, I'm on party bus. I know what I need from Iron Bank and Big Bang. How do I get it? As opposed to like, yeah, I kind of get it, right? Um, so like the, the systems thinking piece, I think everybody has the ability to do it. We just fire hose them in one day only and say, hey, here's everything about platform one now, now run, right? Mm -hmm. and, and different teams onboard effectively as well post that one day orientation, but it's still like, it's a huge complex system. And we expect people to, to get that in a six hour Zoom call. Mm -hmm. kind and of then thing. go talk to customers about it. Yep. Right, uh, which, yeah, I mean, I call them like the stump the chump meetings, right? Like customer, they have all these questions. And if you don't have like the breadth of the knowledge full. and the and the depth of knowledge, 
you know, we, we kind of look, we, we, we can, we can look silly and there's just not a lot of people that have both of those things. And the people that do have those things are like our anchor engineers or our product managers for, for our team. And, you know, um, they have to lead their team and, you know, and talk to the customers at, at, at the same time. It's hard and it takes time to develop those people. It's not something that can be done in, in a replacement of three to four weeks, right? It, it requires, it just requires time. It requires that experience. Um, it's kind of a, it's like, we, we know, we acknowledge it. Um, we don't necessarily have the fix for it, um, you know, yeah. at the moment. Right. Um, but it's something that, you know, we definitely need to start working on. Yeah, I think in a remote world, um, I'll just pile on with some of the failures that I think, you know, I, I still feel responsible about sometimes like our, our onboarding, we do a great like one day cultural indoctrination, but like having something that could have been like pairing through different teams for a certain amount of time to learn the context of all teams would have been something good. Um, yeah. And like, it's same with like pair, the concept of pair programming, right? That used to be a very disciplined thing when we started and, and those things kind of, we, we let those habits and the discipline to take time to do that kind of die a little bit to my, in my opinion. And, and that's, it's so tempting to be like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. That's waste time. Cause we urgently need this thing. And that's the thing you're here to do. Um, yet we don't give them the context for like in the medium and long term sometimes to be successful. And, and I think we, we kind of shortchanged ourselves there sometimes and it, it, it's hard. Um, so, all right. Best part of the best part of the podcast for me now is uh, you get to share your favorite P1 story. Um, you can pick anything that you want. If it's uh, if it's too unfiltered, I'll have to edit it out. Just fair warning. But uh, hopefully you can, uh, hopefully you can pick something fun or or something that you know drove a lot of value or satisfaction for you, uh, just in what we've been able to accomplish the last few years. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, this I, is hard. All right, I can hop in first because I have mine queued up. As a co-facilitator, I knew this question was coming. Um, so for me, like we've talked a little bit about how we decided to build our own framework, uh, which is an agile coach's dream, first of all. But second of all, my favorite thing about it was the way we went about solving that problem, right? So we had an interface issue, not only across teams, but also teams to leadership of how we communicated information. And instead of the traditional, hey, I am the highest paid person, the hippo, uh, my opinion counts the most, being like, this is what you're going to do. We formed a like, cross value stream. I hate the word tiger team, but it's what it was, right? Tiger team of like eight folks uh, from key points in our organization that were, I understand the work that happens on a day-to-day -day basis. I also understand the strategic things you need. So let's get together um, and we will come up with the framework and we will tell you how we want to present the information to you. And you can tell us if we're missing the information you care about and we can go adjust. Um, so we spent a lot of time on that, getting a lot of feedback from people every day. And the goal was the individual contributors should bear none of this burden. It should be 100% on what we jokingly refer to as group staff, right? The, the people in the middle management, for lack of better terms, roles. Um, and so not only was that super fun, but it was also last spring during Champions League soccer. And I've played soccer my entire <laughs> life, huge fan of all of it. Uh, so not only did I get to explain what the hell a Champions League is, but also uh, we started betting on all of the games. So we would live stream them in the background while we're coming up with this framework and having all of these philosophical debates. Uh, and every now and then somebody would just stand up and scream like, no, somebody scored is the wrong guy. My prop bets over and, and I've lost. 
kind of thing. So it's was, it was a nice light, light-hearted P1 way to, to solve problems. Erica, you're on the spot next. Yeah, I, I there are so many stories and probably most of them should never like be out on the internet. So I'm not going to talk <laughs> about those. <laughs> but but you know, I you know, one thing that I don't think again, we talk we big picture, right? The I, I can't talk about enough about how this entire team has come together. Like we we don't we don't like stop to celebrate our successes here, right? I, again, you know, I've been with the DOD for over 20 years now, and I've been on successful programs and projects and, you know, things that have not been, you know, that failed miserably, right? Um, here, you know, we, we celebrate our failures, we learn from them, we move on, we share, we share the story behind what those are, what worked, what, did, what didn't work. But if you look at us as like, that biggest software factory of uh, you, you, or, or, or the very large software factory for the DOD, what we're trying to do, all that transformation and, and hosting like over, you know, two, over 250 applications have come through us, right? And used our, our resources and, you know, how all the value streams have come together to enable that and, you know, really show the DOD, you can do things differently. You can do things in a continuous delivery uh, fashion and, um, really just, you know, look at the, look at the data that we've already, that we, that we have. Um, it's really astonishing. And, and overall, I mean, I think this is like one of the highlights of my career. I can't imagine going to work another DOD program after this one. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That, that totally resonates with me. And I, I agree, Erica, one of my biggest regrets and something I always try to do as a leader that I, I didn't do enough at platform one is like what I call like just getting rid of the abstraction between us and the value yeah. we've delivered. Cause I think yeah. a lot of times like our individual contributors didn't see how big of an impact they were having on airmen and guardians lives. And even other, you know, we helped other services too. And, and we, we started getting better at that having, you know, users come into our dailies and talk about the impact we're having on named operations. And those are some of the highlights when we did do those things. But I agree. I, I was uniquely suited that I got to spend a lot of time external to P1 and saw how bad it was other places still on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, but internally, we were very hard on ourselves, right? Like yes. culturally, like we always wanted to be better and we probably did not celebrate ourselves. I mean, you don't want to celebrate yourself, but you know what I mean, right? Like just take a second to like appreciate how far we've come and what we've delivered. Yeah. All right, well, I appreciate both of you being on. Drew's been here, uh, but in a different hat this time. And, and Erica, who's been uh, just like some of the guests we've had, we, a lot of the people we've picked um, have probably had about 17 different roles at Platform One as we've changed. And they've never said like, oh, I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, I joke that you have to be willing to mop the floors or like write code or approve merge requests or talk to customers. Like you could be asked to do anything at any time at Platform One, so be prepared. Um, but you guys both embody that. It's been a joy working with you. Um, and so I appreciate you taking the time to jump on the podcast and hopefully people get uh, to learn a little bit and also maybe pop shots at us and we can collaborate and, and learn more from them as well. So I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Austin. Thank you.
Thank you.